growth pains. Hey everybody, welcome to this new episode of Growth Pains where we talk about how we all screw up when trying to grow our businesses. I'm your host, Ignacio Gallegos, also known as Nacho. Today we'll be talking about topics such as balancing important, urgent versus important, non-urgent work, getting lost in the details, moving fast without causing issues that will haunt you later, and innovating in highly saturated markets. My guest today is a good friend of mine, Kisar Naim, uh, and previously he was a product manager at Start, so working with yours truly side by side, and now he's doing his thing at the Netherlands' latest unicorn, or maybe there's a new one uh, by the time we record this, but MessageBird. So welcome, man. How are you? Good, man. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's great so to it's have great you. It's to been be a while. Yeah, it's it's really been a while since uh, th since things went down, the lockdown. We haven't really had a, a chance to catch up. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to get now, so no worries. That's okay. Let's just start like easing you into it. You know how this goes. You, you're, a, you're a listener from what you were telling me. So we usually start with uh, talking about something that you're really, really bad at. So what is that one for you? Um, <laughs> what I'm really, really bad at, I consider myself bad at, or where I think I need the most improvement, is being concise, man. It's <laughs> like in my speech, it, you know, talking to somebody, delivering the message in the shortest way possible and still being super clear about it. Yeah. And, and, and that's like a constant improvement thing for me. Yeah, I can definitely not help you with that one. I think uh, <laughs> I, I am, I'm absolutely awful at that one. I tend to, to speak all over the place. So, but I, I see the value, right? Like, especially in communications, I, I see uh, the more, the, the wiser the people you speak to and the more senior they are, you realize that they are more and more concise. Like when, you, when you're exchanging emails or whatever, I tend to send these massive emails and then you get like, yeah. sure, let's do it. <laughs> okay, Yeah. right? right? So yeah. you, you're, you're definitely seeing that, that it's a skill that, well, people don't have time, right? So you're gonna spend time reading or listening to somebody yap for an hour. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, your day runs short really quickly. Exactly, but, and there's, yeah. there's so much time in a day that you have, um, so, so for example, um, I've I've listened to the founder of Superhuman speaking. Yeah, and every, every time I listen to Rahul. him, like, damn, yeah, it's like, god damn, <laughs> how do you deliver such a message so precisely? It's it's like snipe that something. Yeah, and that's like uh, that's amazing to listen. Yeah, I think uh, the, from my guests at the podcast, maybe the one that's that's better at at that is uh, West Kale. I think if, I don't know if you listened to that episode, but for everybody listening, I would really I actually recommend started it. that and didn't get to finish it. Yeah, yeah, she's she's great. Like you ask something and she tells you exactly, like she answers directly to the point in like a few seconds. I would go around the bushes for like half an hour before I deliver any answer, if any, in in, in that whole <laughs> speech. But uh, I understand that pain. Okay, let's get to the true or false, dude. So I have a, a bunch of. Uh, product management ones for you. Um, okay. Let's see. So first one, done is better than perfect. True or false? True. Yeah. You feel that way? Yeah, I, um, I used to be a perfectionist uh -huh. um, when I started my- I remember that. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> That's why I put and, it in there. <laughs> yeah, so um, as you know, and it's also like, you know, you can you can perfect things so much to a certain point, and also it gives you a lot of anxiety. So I've learned that hey, just just put things out there. It doesn't mean they need to be <coughs> excuse me, uh, they need to be like wonky and not working. And then you are like, yeah, done, not perfect, but done. It's like 
you know, you press a button, it's, it's broken or so on. You install a door and it doesn't work. Yeah. It's more like get it out, you know, iterate over it, and and it will evolve over time. If you if you make if if you get into the making it perfect, it's never going to be perfect, you know. No, it's a rabbit hole. Like it, it yeah, never I've, ends. I've come around to that. Learning all right, that all right. Let's see. Let's. I'm going to ask people in, in MessageBird if that's the case. Huh? I'm going to I'm going to be sending a survey. Go. Feel free to send emails. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the next one. Uh, product managers are the CEOs of their products. True or false? True, but with the caveat. Let me uh -huh. <laughs> let me explain uh -huh. that. Um, when you say that product manager is a CEO of product, people think it's you know it it's it has a wrong message attached to it. You know, I you know I don't mean it that acting like a CEO where I can tell people what to do. Yeah, I I I mean about the CEO with the part of taking full ownership of everything that has to do with your product. You know, making delivering value to your customers, making sure it has business impact, assessing all the risk, and most importantly, making sure that you take everybody together and and move forward. You know, so so you're not like ordering around it. I would probably call it product managers are founders of their product. Yeah, you know, the founder mi mindset is a lot more different than CEO mindset. Yeah, yeah, but that's also a misconception, right? Because even when you're the CEO, like God, even if you're the president, right? Like you just don't call any shot you want. Like as there, as as you add more people beneath you, yeah, sure. If you're two people, sure, you can call the shots. But if you're ten, twenty, thirty, four hundred, a thousand, there's mm -hmm. people that you hire to do certain jobs. That yeah. sure, you you know, you have some input, but at the end of the yeah. day, they own their jobs, right? So yeah. I think I think in th in that way, that's also a misconception that the CEO just says. You know, like Sundar Pichai would come tomorrow in Google and say, "Hey, just add this in Gmail." Like that's not yeah. that's not the way it goes. You know, <laughs> that's like, not how it works. But it's exactly, I, I'm pretty sure you have got gotten this somewhere in your career where where somebody hired you and then they wanted to do marketing for you and they wanted yep. to tell you how to do marketing. Yeah, yeah Like, yeah. no, let me do my job. And that's like exactly the thing as PM. You you can't tell people to do your job is to uncover uncover basically unknowns and then collaborate with the team to put out the product that creates value for the customers. Yeah. All right. This one, I think it's an interesting one. So the more features you pack into a product, the more your customers will like it. True or false? That's false. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. The, um, but that's a common misconception, right? You feel like the more advanced, also the, the notion of advanced is mixed with the amount of shit that you put in it, which yeah. doesn't, is not correlated directly like that. Exactly. Take a real life example, man. If you buy, um, I'm just going to pick a random thing, microwave, you know, a microwave, something you use to just get one, something warmed up, you know, yeah. but then we've seen these microwaves, which has like thousands of buttons on them and we don't know what they do. Yeah. And, and it's like, do you like a microwave? They have Wi-Fi now. <laughs> they have yeah, um, so that's the point that like your product shouldn't have like endless features and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna uh, say that hey I my this is my value proposition I want to get out of this product but it doesn't it doesn't have uh, just for you the sake of example Wi-Fi in it so I'm not gonna buy it yeah you know? and that's that's a, that's indeed a misconception and it, it's there for many reasons sometimes your product is super early in the market and it doesn't have feature parity so somebody who you're trying to drag away from a competitor they might have certain features which your product might not have and then that's where this kind of is relevant but 
then the challenge is how do you how do you navigate that challenge rather than keep adding every single feature so your product doesn't become this uh, mess of uh, just a bunch of features you know and you add complexity right like with more features more complexity and then i i cannot find anymore the feature that i used to like because it's buried between all these other stuff that you added right so that's also tricky um yeah. last one and let's see uh how you go with this one customers are always right true or false <laughs> yeah so this is black and white right yeah yeah yeah. well okay. you can always explain later but just pick your uh, um, yeah I'm, i'm gonna explain but i am gonna say <laughs> this is a hard one i'm gonna say yes but okay but but this is why customers are right in a way that that they know what they want you know when a customer is coming to you they're coming to you with a problem but they are not always right in how they communicate that to you you know okay. they let's say they come to you and say that i want to buy your product but they or they they're doing a feature request uh, they might bring it across completely differently than what they actually mean yeah you know? and that's your job as a product manager like my job as a product manager to uncover the why behind this and and that's why i think customers are always right in terms of the intent but yeah. they might not be literally right you know if they if they say that hey um let's take for the example say since we both worked at start like add a five page survey yeah. you know um they are not right in a way they're right to with the intent that they want to achieve something yeah. but they might not be right that that doesn't fit with what what you deliver as a product at start so so it's 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 your job as a pm to uncover the why behind it like why are they coming up with this request how can we help them yeah yeah david ogilvy famously said once people don't think what they feel they don't say what they think and then they do what they don't do what they say right and exactly. and, and that's the problem right it's the same in marketing with customer research like i think the key of it all is that no source of truth is the source of truth, right? So you have to gather the customer input, the team input, the whole thing, put it in a blender and try to get the insights from that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because yeah, yeah, also, well, I don't know, like yeah. 10 years ago, we all wanted a computer with a CD drive and Steve Jobs said, you know what, I'm gonna take it off. Like what? Mm -hmm. We cried for a year <laughs> and then we forgot about it and now no computer has it, right? So in a way yeah. you also have like, well, they used to say like customers don't know what they want, but I think there is some truth in it in a way that you always have to listen to customers, of course, but you need to mix it with all sorts of sources of truth, right? To make decisions. All right, Exactly. Man. Yeah, Good. you're an educator also. I think that's how I also look at my role. Yeah. You are an educator, not in the sense of, again telling you what to do and telling you what's right but in terms of like how do we educate the mindset yeah yeah exactly you have a problem i think i know how you can solve it and this is how right exactly yeah yeah all right yeah. man the other one it's um the first thing we're going to talk about today it's it's well it's related to prioritization right but i like the way you put it together because we've discussed prioritizing here a few times i think it's a really common pain but also that you mentioned that it's separating between things that are important and urgent versus things that are important but non-urgent, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a completely different thing because it seems like a really silly play of words, but at the end of the day, what happens is that most of the things in your agenda or on your request desk or whatever, they're all important, 
right? Yeah. And this is why prioritizing is so difficult because everything seems important. So tell me a little bit about the pain that, that you have in this area or that you've had in the past. Yeah, um, I think in general, everybody has felt this point at some point and everybody does feel it at some, uh, some point in, in their daily work life. As a product manager, what I felt is that, okay, at the end, what, what you're trying to do is create a product which delivers value and you can make money out of it, you know, otherwise your business doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's where this urgent and important comes from. The important is like that helps you achieve your vision, the where you are moving as, as like a company, as a product. And it might not be urgent, you know, but on the other hand, you have urgent things, which not might not be that important aligned to your vision, but you need to do that. You know, mm -hmm. so it, and it, you can also put it out in another context. You you might need to put out a fire, which is urgent, but it's not. You know, you can also say that yeah, it's not important. It's not my job and all that. Um, but it's super. It's it's super urgent. And then if you don't deal with it, it's gonna come come back to bite you. All right. Um, so so on those on those grounds, like what what in your criteria? And I, I guess this is an ever evolving thing, right? But what makes something urgent when it comes to product work for in in your in your mind, right? What are the things that say like I need to address this right now? Well, yeah, urgent thing is that let's say if your if your customers are having issue with your product, if 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 the product is not working as it's supposed to, or if it's having issues, or um, you have customers that are about to churn for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, you know it's it's in your best interest that it's uh, it's urgent and important at the same time. You know, so you can take it the four ways: urgent, important, uh, not urgent, uh, important, then not urgent, not important, and then right. the other ones. Uh, sorry, <laughs> so many. No, I get it, and that, that's what it's called. Like this, like Eisenhower matrix, right? That is called mm -hmm. like it's because it's yeah. based on, on how Eisenhower used to make decisions. Uh, the president, basically, which you have like urgent, not urgent, uh, important, yeah. not important, is like four quadrants. Uh, yeah. But the, the problem, the, the the problem with this is that, well, also I think Eisenhower said it's like what is important is seldom urgent, and what is urgent is seldom important, right? So yeah. if you're very loose about those criterias then you're going to consider everything urgent and important, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so so exactly. you have to have some sort of a framework there. Um, is this something that you think about standardizing in your in your daily work or is it something that you take it as it goes and you deal with it as the requests come in, right? Or do you have a clear framework yeah. on what's urgent or not? Yeah, I would love to have a framework, man, but... but yeah, it's not that, that easy. It's easier said than done. I'm not that structured of a person as much as I would like to be. But yeah. here's the thing, what I do. Um, something we all deal with every day is email. So in Gmail, I have created labels, like yeah. the important and then not urgent, and then the urgent ones, and then I color code them so that every time I'm there, it's kind of part of my to-do list. Yeah. My actual to-do list lives in, the, in another place. Um, so that's one way I try to deal with it. You know, if there's basically a customer, uh, something related to a customer going on, then I might label it accordingly. But if there is something that I need to review, which which is directly related to the product I'm working on, but I know it can wait, but it's super important that I review this or I leave my comments on it, um, I, I'll move it to the urgent, uh, sorry, important label so that later on when I have that space, I can visit it. Yeah. As, as a product manager, everything comes your way it's like especially in when you're like in a high growth company yeah 
like there's way too much coming your way and it's like it can be overwhelming so and that's how i try to deal with it i'm not not gonna pretend that i'm really good at it it's just <laughs> it's just that that's how that's how i try to deal with it and 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 it's it's a huge pain and i think it's um uh, it's it's a lot of people suffer with it in their daily work life or outside work life also and yeah. the, the sooner you learn to deal with it the the better it becomes for you well i think there's also an issue that um well as you said right i'm not i'm not that organized in in that way uh there's th people work differently right and also what's tricky is when these criteria are differently because if i consider a subset of things urgent that you completely don't because our criteria are completely different then we're always going to be dissatisfied with each other right i'm going to call you up and say dude this is the most fundamental thing you should do today and you're gonna be like well that's like number 10 in my in my priority list right yeah. is this is this something in the organizations you work with that you feel like organizations proactively work towards or you just always putting down fires and you never really get to like put these things into actual standards and words and communicate it across yeah well you know that's the thing. No organization can achieve a framework where they can sort of spoon feed these things to every worker. Now, imagine yeah. you, you join a company and they are like, hey, this is how we deal with urgent and important. Every time somebody asks you a question, you need to align with them to know. Yeah. You know, it's like um, in this uh, form. babies. Yeah, sorry? Fill in what this form said? to make yeah. people fill in a form. And uh, yeah. Or like babysitting. It feels like babysitting, like lack of ownership if you are told to be put in this framework. And to be honest, if you talk about where I'm working, Bird, things are moving so fast that there is no place for setting these frameworks. And like, it comes yeah. down to you as an individual that how do you manage that? How do you get that context? So for me, let's say it's, it's more important that if, if, if these things are coming my way, aligning on it from people that, okay, what exactly is the deadline on it? And based on that, taking that into consideration. And mm -hmm. also based on that, it's like, you can't do everything. Like you are not the only person in the world. So sometimes you need to take something delegated and then hold that person responsible for it. And that's the, that's the, that's the other thing about being a PM that you are nobody's manager, but, but you have yeah. to, you have to have, um, you have to have that uh, influence of delegating certain things and then making sure that they still move forward. Yeah. I'm not sure that was entirely on, on your point that you made. Well, we just said you're not concise, right? So it's okay. People, the, the audience is prepared. <laughs> the audience is prepared, prepared for these kind of answers. But in a way, what's tricky about this, that right, is like when, when we think about prioritizing, we always think about tasks, right? So mm -hmm. I have to do a bazillion things. What do I do first? On the other hand, though, uh, it's not only tasks that you prioritize; it's also stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Because let's be honest, right? Like when the UX designer says, dude, I would love to implement this new field in the onboarding flow, it's quite easy to say no to him. But when the CEO says, I have an investor that just called me, we would love to see this. When can you have it? it, it it's much harder to say so, right? So you're juggling in two dimensions, right? One is the, um, the things you need to do and how important they are for the business. And the other one is the amount of social capital or power that the person that has that has asked you has, mm -hmm. right? Because you also need yeah. to, 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 to play with those factors. Is this something that, I don't know, that you've learned throughout your career, how to, how to make sure that, I mean, understanding that you cannot keep everybody happy, but that you have to always keep that balance between the stakeholders and everybody involved? Yeah, so that, if you had asked me the list of things I'm bad at, 
I wouldn't mention that. That one. Um, <laughs> this is you know, this is another thing that I I want to improve a lot more on. That I know I can't make everybody happy, and I need to. The, what I need to improve on is learning to live with it. You yeah. Know? Um, but going back to your question on on balancing the different priority of stakeholders, that's where well, that's where I'm I'm working towards creating this this the same same um, level of accountability, so to say. Mm-hmm. Where you are able to ask the same questions to to um, how do you say a junior level colleague and a CEO, you know, yeah. you bring you're able to bring them on the same page, and uh, and that's the hard part. And going back to your question about yeah, I'm, 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 this is something I'm able to sort of like um, something in my career. I learned that I tried to make everybody happy over the years. Yeah, that just doesn't work, you know, because what happens is that. I'm the only person who's not able to sleep at night because I'm like, oh my God, this this person hates me and then I'm, I'm awake half the night. But over the years, I learned that, hey, it's, it's, no, that's not ha- that's, that can't happen. You know, not yeah. everybody's going to be happy. So, so make sure you communicate. You make sure you communicate the intent. Make sure you communicate what's best for the the company and the product. But then, then just you know, sort of wash off all the worries that you have because at the end of the day, it's like, it's eating me up in the end. Yeah, but that's I, that's where you realize also that that being being always the nice guy that says yes to everything sometimes bites you in the butt, right? Because you, you end up not delivering because you just can't mm-hmm. deliver everything. Uh, and that's far worse than just saying no to begin with, right? Just, just by, by saying politely, like, listen, I, I don't think I can fit this in, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, you say yes and you under-deliver and that yeah. makes the other person much more upset that that if you yeah. were said no to begin with, right? But yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's indeed. Tricky. And that's that's also to that change throughout the different jobs I had over the years, different companies I worked at, different projects I was involved in outside work. Also, yeah, uh, you know, saying yes to everything because you you don't you don't I don't know how to say no. Yeah, and that's like something. But eventually, eventually, you learn that okay, one as willing as I am to help, there are going to be 10 more people around me who are yeah. as willing. And and it's uh, it's good to go to those people sometime also and be like, hey, I'm really stuck on this thing and this is my priority and I can't take more. Or like explaining that exact same thing to the person who's asking you that, okay, yeah. I have too much right now going on. Can I come back to you later or can you manage it some other way? And that's what I've learned to do it. And one of the things lately I do, I try to move everything async. Mm-hmm. Okay, instead of like popping into a meeting, I try to do things as much async as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. I think like if we looked at it, uh, prioritizing, right, there's a scope of tasks, then we have the hierarchy or the stakeholders involved. And also one of the, I think one of the, quick revenue opportunities are probably the roadmap's worst enemy, right? So when you have your sales team getting off a call, and I've seen you experience this one in real life, right? Like when you say, hey, dude, I just got off a phone with massive customer. If we can just ship this, we can close this amazing deal. And mm-hmm. then it completely derails your roadmap. Um, mm-hmm. Have you dealt to, link, to uh, deal with those uh, along the years? Like what would you recommend for those situations? Because, yeah. Sometimes it's not the best solution to 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 spend all your resources in in that golden mm-hmm. little nugget, and you have to have a more like long term vision, right? Yeah, I think it 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 helps to to understand which situation is it worth to say yes to, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, 
imagine you, you you say yes to a certain opportunity like this where your sales team you know per- persuades you to um, change your roadmap and, yeah. and fit a certain thing in uh, most of the time these things align with roadmap most of the time they don't if they don't align it's easier for you to say no if if it was part of something that you wanted to do it down the line but you have to now move it up it's you know you try to um, try to manage it you know yeah. like, okay let's let's move this up and then let's deprioritize try to create context for it and it's also not only about saying yes to them but it's also trying to making it making it so that they understand where you're coming from and then also making your team understand where where this whole situation is coming from but yeah going going back to like how it has changed over the years it used to be um okay i don't i don't think people have generally bad intentions you know but in, it used to be <laughs> i used to trust they do <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, i think I it could be that their their priorities are not aligned with your priorities you know yeah so a salesperson yeah. could think that okay, this feature is gonna kill it, and he, he or she have There's heard my it. commission. Yeah. Not only that, but it's like if they hear the same thing three times, and then this one deal is super important to them, whether it's commission based or whether they really love getting this customer for the company, and it, yeah. it is spot. You know, salespeople are not evil. It's like they're they're trying to move your business forward. So the point is that um, they could. They could assume that hey, this is a killer feature, and I know it's a killer feature. But you, as a PM, is like okay, when do you, when do you, uh, how do you align that with them? Yeah. Like okay, we're gonna if we're gonna factor this in, if we're gonna sacrifice some of our roadmap for it, how do we proceed with that? How do we create context around it for everybody? And then also saying no is that there are obvious things, like I said, you know, yeah. if, if somebody asks you to build a Wi-Fi in the in the microwave <laughs> where you don't want to. Then it's it's an easy thing to say no to, and then I I don't lose my sleep over those things. Yeah. And if something that doesn't align with your vision or something that is like backward in the in the uh, in the market, like including a CD ROM, <laughs> uh, we're talking a lot about hardware product. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get software, it. PM, but. but Look, the the second pain you also mentioned was like uh, getting lost in the details, right? And you said you were mm-hmm. a recovering perfectionist. You actually said a recovered, but I have no question that's a lie. <laughs> and I'm going to say you're a recovering perfectionist. So uh, one of the things you mentioned is about how your background uh, takes you there, right? Because you have a technical background. Not all PMs have a technical background. And, and in that way, when somebody comes with uh, with an idea that sounds great and it's fantastic, like it sounds amazing, all you can think about is how hard it is to make that, right? And all the technical mm-hmm. challenges and all the blockers and so on. It reminds me, when I was a kid, uh, I, I joined the music conservatorium, like playing guitar, and I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix, right? And all of a sudden, I'm sitting with a guy that tells me how to trim my nails and how to put my elbow, right? And how to like that. Yeah. And I was like, dude, like all of these things you're teaching me are, are making it so much worse for me because the things that I used to enjoy, you're telling me they're all wrong. Mm-hmm. Now and now that I know this knowledge, I cannot unknown it, unknow it, right? I, I just have yeah. it, and I feel like I'm doing wrong things, and I, I it limits your creativity, right? Yeah. So from that perspective, do you feel a little bit like that when it comes to product, right? Like I come in and say, hey, I have this fantastic idea for a product, and all you can see are blockers and why that couldn't happen instead of actually getting excited <laughs> about the vision. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. I think at this point. Um, of course, coming from a technical background where you're you're deep into the how, how are we going to build this? What kind of risks we have? What kind of blockers we might come across? Mm-hmm. And then, I was a dev what three years ago, 
three, four years ago still. And then even after that, I was still doing a lot of technical stuff at that start, if you, you know, yep. like really deep into it. And then it's like, if you take the same mindset as a PM, eventually I, I find myself a lot more finding the reasons why you can't do it than the reason why you can't do it. So I think yeah. it helps to be naive a lot of times, you know? Where where you where or plainly ignorant, right? It's it's great yeah. to know to not know stuff sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or know stuff and be like, just no, I'm not gonna look at that stuff. Yeah, that's the hard part. Um, yeah, yeah, and and it's it's easy to to with that background to get into that that uh, that habit of okay, how are we gonna build this? Okay, what service is gonna work with what service? And then you know that's like one thing adds to another to another, and eventually what you're trying to convince that okay. Um, maybe we should just remove these things, these certain features from this uh, iteration or uh, to make sure that we can deliver it in time and all that, which also helps, you know, it, it helps to know how are you going to iteratively bring this product to, or uh, idea to life. Yeah. But at the same time, I think for me at least, I've learned that the less I try to develop into how, the more actually it's, uh, it's helpful. And it's also good for your engineering team. Because if you're if, if if I'm the person who's always in there, you know, trying to trying to be the person who knows too much, it just doesn't help, you know. Yeah. It's, no, it's, sometimes you just gotta play it by ear, right? Like you 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 sometimes you just don't know where it's gonna go, right? Yeah. We, we assume we know, but not not always. Yeah, exactly. And and it, there's a right balance. That that being said. It's, it helps to know the technical knowledge also because if somebody's trying to tell you that, oh, this is not possible, then you can give them 10 reasons why it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but so, it can backfire as well, right? Because the, the technical boundaries can always be pushed. And sometimes mm -hmm. you can be extremely convinced that that's not doable just because, you know, I've tried it before. And, and there's always somebody that it, it's crazy enough to go and push those boundaries and actually pull it off, right? Like that's, that's yeah. there's always a possibility. So yeah. that's cool. Okay. In the other, the other thing is that perfectionism, or, or in this case, the detail attention, uh, mm -hmm. often leads to decision paralysis, right? Often, often leads to like procrastination, and I'll do this when I have all of the research and when I finish all of this stuff. Um, what have you found in your career that 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 can allow you to say, okay, this one gets shipped, right? Like, uh, is there is there something when you're working on a product that that makes you say, okay? this is the chipping point. And then I know there's going to be problems, but this is where I establish it. Or is that yeah. a gut feeling? How does that go for you? Um, it, it has changed over the years. So initially, how it was used to be for me that I wanted to ship something that is completely perfect and it has yeah. all the bells and whistles. Which so you I shipped once every two years a new feature. No, I've never shipped <laughs> with that long. Of, but it's a point that the that project uh, gets closer to deadline and i build up so much anxiety that okay so we have still so much to do and it's still not there yeah you know it's it's purely that you build up that anxiety and then in your mind you are like okay we we are still so far back but in reality your product is, has made so much progress that even if you put it out there's going to be a lot of data that coming for people so how it has changed for me over the years is that the the hunger to get that data Mm -hmm. You know, the sooner you put it out, the more data you can get and the more unknowns you can uh, uncover. And then if that that could mean that, okay, sacrificing some, how do you say, some, some things which you can 
put into a second iteration. I keep saying you, by the way, so just, just know okay. the context. I'm, I mean me. Some, I feel like uh, you and I are one person, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's like, okay, how do, how do I break that, those things down so, so we can ship them fast? And once we ship them fast, the more yeah. time we want by ourselves to for the no, next iteration, but then also we get a lot more data. And yeah. uh, that's how it has changed over the time. And one thing I'm still really stubborn on is putting out something that just is broken, you know? And so I was like going to take you there because I do know you're stubborn. <laughs> and I wanted to say, <laughs> so what about, so this is, this is one that's interesting for me because, uh, we were talking about customers and how they, they, they don't always know what they want, but sometimes they're right and how hard it is to, to, to get that balance right. When it comes to a customer telling you, like, guys, I just need this, even if it's the crappiest version you can pull off uh, next quarter, uh, please. And then your ego kicks in or like, hey, I am either me or the company, the company reputation or whatever. I cannot just ship uh, this like thing it needs to be to our high standards and then your mm -hmm. your whole manual about high standards come in and, and whatnot but the customer is literally telling you i don't care if it's crappy right i just want it now mm -hmm. uh how do you feel about those situations are you the kind of like, yeah. like oh, okay let's just give it to them even if yeah. it's crappy or 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 you pull out the manual yeah. no so so that's the thing i believe in like putting things out even if they are not even if they're not uh, fully productized, if they're scrappy, it's all good. Um, that's how we built Start Connect, you know? It was initially, yeah. there was no face of the product, you know? I was building behind the scenes all these flows. That's the, I wrote a whole blog post about this journey. Yeah. That's the thing, I truly believe in just put something out there, you know, solve the problem, get the data, and that also helps, helps with a lot of um, understanding what they want, you know? Uh, that helps you uh, build this relationship with the customer of a feedback lifecycle where they can tell you a little bit more about, mm -hmm. not a little bit, a lot more about how certain things should work. So I do believe in like, putting things out there uh, faster helps a lot more than, you know, making them perfect, making, uh, having that certain ego where you are like, no, it needs to be the standard. It needs to be pixel perfect. But that's but that's the that's a thing that's interesting for me, what you just mentioned, right? The ego, because mm -hmm. I think there's two sides of this. One of it is like, sure, like we don't want our company to suffer from shipping something that's bad, right? Especially in the early days where you need to prove yourself and you have these early mm -hmm. customers that you need to, to, to make loyal. Um, but on the other hand, I think a lot of it is driven by our own egos, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just want, I, me, want this yeah. to be of a certain standard because I want to show it off, right? Yeah. Or I want to tell people, hey, I built this. And yeah. at some stages, the customer might not even care at that stage. They just want it now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that could, that's not just ego. It could also be fear. I've got to True. learn. I, I've got yeah. to learn about fear over the years a lot more. And then it could also be that there's certain, there's like a part of you, which is, yeah. yeah, which is telling you that, oh my God, if this, if you mess this up, you're going to, nobody's going to trust you anymore. You know, you might yeah. potentially lose your job. So you want to make sure this is all good. And I think you need to confront those fears and, and, uh, one, of course, make sure that you don't start shipping everything that's broken. But at the same time, it's like you need to confront those fears and insecurities and be like, hey, it's okay to not be, I keep coming back to pixel perfect, but it's yeah. like getting something out which solves a problem is a lot better than getting something out which solves a problem, but it's also super nice looking and it's also super like the best quality in the world. 
then you might ship something uh, so much later that the time has passed and or the customer has moved on or the market has moved on. Yeah, so, in a way, it's risk adversity as well, right? So what you were saying, right? So basically, nobody got fired for doing the sound thing. Like nobody got fired for doing exactly what everybody expected you to do, mm-hmm. right? The only issue is that nobody got great doing that either, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you're like, okay, what's your marketing plan in my case? Sure, here are some Google ads, here are some Facebook ads. Oh, that was exactly what I was expecting. Great. Yeah. I'm not going to get fired if I say that. Now, yeah. if I say I want to dress a guy in damn square like a chicken and do hula dance, people are going to be like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. You and that's where ownership, so that's where. Oh, that's where ownership comes in or something we discussed earlier being the ceo of product or the founder of product when you mm-hmm. think with that mindset you don't think about being insecure when you're a founder or a ceo your job or what how you how your mindset is to make sure the company is successful and let's say if you are in the early days of the company you'll do everything to make sure that that customer gets what they want and then it helps solve their problem even if it's crappy and i yeah. think once you start adapting to that mindset the whole worry about getting getting uh, failing or or let's say um, getting fired that's like the extreme situation but yeah. that that's eventually where all the insecurities lead to people don't want to fail and then sometimes it's because they have personal reasons the society is a huge reason you know it's people in yeah. general failure is never nice true so so all i think right, once man. you adapt the mindset of a founder where you are able to run through walls and learn from it then then those insecurities goes away. And then one thing I want to add on that is feedback. Uh-huh. Think always be there's something learned from start a lot. The culture we have there, um, that be open to feedback from everyone and make sure to communicate people around you that hey, yeah, uh, that I'm open to feedback. You know, and then once things put out, you look for that feedback from the customer and then the stakeholders, so that you can you can think of yourself as the product, mm-hmm. which you can iterate over. Yeah. Um, and that's, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, like moving on to the third pain, right? Because it's highly related to this one as well. Like you mentioned like moving fast without causing issues that will haunt you later, right? Um, in a way, it's only human that we try to predict every possible outcome of, of a situation. In reality, it's it's impossible, right? We, we never can. Um, how big of a source of stress is this, uh, is this to you when you have to let go of a new product or have you gotten rid of that over the the years uh, doing this work? That that you haven't seen every little angle before you ship, right, of things that could go wrong. Yeah, so that's where the, I think initially it was like being a product manager, I felt really responsible for every part, you know, even the technical part. And what I've learned over the years that this is where your counterparts need to be uh, on the same level of decision making and the same level of accountability that they need to tell you that, hey, this is not a good decision or like they need to be accountable for the quality. You know, if if you as a PM are pushing, pushing, pushing and somewhere along the way that is going to compromise quality, it's possible that in with, with everything that's going on in, in the day, it's easy to lose the context of that. So that's where the counterparts come in, where they are able to constantly factor that in. Yeah. And then comes a point where you need to make a decision that, okay, should we ship it and then be a little bit of uh, wary of the quality and then things take a shortcut, which we know that will come back to us. And that's, I, to be honest, don't have an answer still to that. Yet, yeah, you know, course. once you reach that crossroads, how do you, which direction do you lean? towards more 
Yeah. And does it happen to you though that sometimes you ship something and and you can tell exactly which problem is going to cause later on so you're like okay I'm shipping this today I know that in a few months from now these are the problems that this is going to have uh or 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 usually that's really unexpected. Um, I think if you could do that to the point you would be I don't know a god but Yeah but sometimes but, you cannot fix them right you know like I know this will be a problem but I cannot mm -hmm. fix it today I'm just going to ship it and I'll make a note to fix this later you know. Yeah so I think well, that's where knowing knowing the 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 capability of what you're shipping the product you're building its capability comes in handy so for example if you're building a car again hardware product you know what's the top speed right you know and and let's say if you if you ship something and then you know that okay we could possibly get top speed to 200 but since we are shipping it early we need to compromise and it's going to be 180 and if somebody pushes it to beyond 180 it's going to break and it's going to come back to us again hardware product for some reason it's easier for me to give examples there yeah um, but the point here is that same with the software if you let's say ship uh, if, if you ship a product or a feature or a certain thing which is scalable to let's say 100 users and you know beyond 100 users it's going to be really complicated for you it's going to make your life absolutely worse then you should know this at least a little bit not to the point like exact number of the users yeah of course but at least like know the capacity your product can handle and that's where the risk assessing the technical risk comes in you know that if you know the technical risk is that it's not scalable to beyond a certain point mm -hmm. then that's where it needs to be highlighted be discussed with the counterparts and understood that okay how are we going to how are we going to do uh, deal with this technical debt you know technical debt is a huge thing do and, you think uh, because these departments will product marketing all of them in, in tech companies in particular like people move jobs really quickly and people are just there for either a year or two years and then they jump ship or whatnot uh, do you think that also leads sometimes to having a bit of a short term mindset right like so for example I'm getting really pressured to deliver a lot of things really fast mm -hmm. and I, on my own I know like this might cause issues but I think like well when they cause these issues, they're either not going to fall on me or I'm not going to be here and I'm delivering fast, right? Do you, yeah. do you see that sometimes in, in a, when the environment is moving too fast? Because when you're moving fast, there is a trade-off, right? Like uh -huh. you, you, you cannot just pressure people to go really, really fast and at the same time expect that there are not trade-offs. Yeah. There are trade-offs. And some of those trade-offs might be that people just feel like, okay, I'll give you fast. But, you know, do you see that happening sometimes when the companies step on the gas? Um, with people, or are you asking with me? No, with no in general, like in organizations, yeah. Yeah, I can't talk about like the mindset of people, how they think, but um, yeah, of course, there are people who have a certain mindset. Of course, let's talk about the perfectionist or the person who wants to ship. You know, yeah. If you have an environment where everything is moving so fast and it's necessity to ship rather than be perfect the person who's a perfectionist is not going to fit in that, in that environment. And on the other hand, if you have somebody who is thinking with a mindset like, hey, I'm not going to be here in a year anyway. This is my, uh, this is my bridge yeah. to the next big thing, you know? And there are people who think like that, who are like, okay, every two years, if you switch a job, you get a higher salary. And then, and that's, you know, um, but the point is that with that mindset, you can't succeed in long term. You know, it's 
it's a lot about longevity. And I think both in short term and long term, you, you find a lot more success when you think about that, okay, what you actually care about what you're building rather than um, how much are you shipping. Because mm. it's, I think if you wake up every day and go to work with a mindset of when can we ship what we are building and how much features can we ship and all that, and it, I think it's a fundamentally wrong mindset. If you go to work every day thinking that, okay, I want to learn a lot more about how, what kind of problems our customers are coming across and what are we doing today to solve them? What kind of data can we uncover and how can we build the best possible product for them and at the same time make our business a lot of money? You know, I think that's a mindset of a goal you're working towards. When, you, when you're talking about like, let's say if, if you have a mindset of, if a certain person has a mindset of, let's say, um, checking off the list of tasks, yeah. you know, then I, that that just is not a, a long-term mindset. But careful, gonna, like one thing is the mindset, right? And, and another thing is the thing that you think will make your manager happy as well, right? You know what I mean? Because it might not yeah. be your mindset, but yeah. the way to keep your manager happy or the way to keep the, the company, your OKRs or whatever they are, it's to just deliver these things as quickly as possible. Right. And in that way, you're like, okay, I want to keep my manager. So it's, sometimes you get forced out of your mindset, right? Due to the organizational goals that are put on you. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's difficult. And sure, as you become more senior, once in a while, you might be able to say, you know what, guys, like, I don't think these goals are right because they're creating the wrong incentives. But mm -hmm. at some point, you also have to win that place in the organization. Right. When you just yeah. come in, also, you don't, you don't have a saying on, on those things. It's a bit difficult. Yeah. Yes. That's a good point, man. And, and again, it's the, I, it, it, you know, it's just something inside me goes just dangling when I'm living to make my manager happy or my, uh, my yeah. let's take it outside work, you know, um, take example of uh, your friend, you know, if, if your friends are saying something and you just want to make sure they, they like you and you don't uh, oppose them or you don't stand up and say what you really think, those friendships are not going to mean anything to you. you yeah, true. And same thing, if you say take same, same mindset to work, um, if you are living to make your manager happy or the company happy, it's not going to fly. But at the same time, you need to find a way, um, and it's something you also gave me really good advice on, find a way how you can balance these both. How can you make sure that you can uh, move forward uh, without you know, just going in all guns blazing. Yeah. Yeah. What about, so about moving fast again, right? So there are trade-offs. Um, what, how do you, how do you deal with those? Because th those can generate also a lot of frustration, right? I, I can imagine that when the organizational priority is to move fast, right? It's definitely to move fast. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to left undone. There's a lot of things that are just going to stay in a trunk for years and uh, years to come. How do you deal with that frustration? Because you are not, your manager's gonna say, dude, you're not gonna get the time to, to get this the way you want it to be. We mm -hmm. just need to keep going. And uh, we mm -hmm. need to broaden our, our, our offering or whatever it is, right? How do you deal with that frustration today? Do you think better than before? Or do you prefer to be not in that situation? <laughs> um, when you talk about that, like there are certain things you want to do. Let's say if there are certain things yeah. me, my personal ego wants to do, then well, for professional growth as well, right? Like you just want to learn something technically or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, then there are other ways to bring it up. I don't think these things are necessarily tied, should be tied to the, 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 the work you are, the product work you are doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm really stuck on this this thing I want to, this feature I want to build for the product because it's my ego is holding me against it and I'm just clinging on to it for so long, and it just doesn't make sense. But on the other hand, if it's like I'm really invested into that, okay, how do I, how do I make, give my customers superpowers? Yeah. then it becomes easy to just align across the board. Um, and that's what over the years I've, I've learned also that there's, there's also a lot of stuff which you, you know, you see that, oh, this is, this is not how it should be. Yeah. You know? and, and then I would love to change it. I would love to basically redo this whole thing. But is this the right time? And do I have, the, do I have all the time? Uh, well, do I have all the time with everything that is going on? Is it, again, you know, the same question, is it important? Yeah. Or is it urgent? Or is it like, you know, where does it fit in that matrix? Um, I think it's important, but is it urgent? Okay, why is it important? Then you start asking these questions. Um, well, yeah, so something that's interesting because, I mean, you join MessageBird and you've been fully remote all the time, right? And you guys have mm-hmm. been growing quite significantly, not only in, in revenue and so on, but in employees as well, like hiring mm-hmm. a lot of people. Uh, there's a very, and I spoke about this with John as well in, in the episode, John from Miro, like, mm-hmm. um, there's this assumption that more people means you move faster. Uh, sometimes that's not the case, right? Sometimes you, 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 you get a lot more people in, but you know, there's a process, there's onboarding, there's people catching up, there's a lot of things, like sometimes things become more bureaucratic, there's more people mm-hmm. to get on board with ideas so things can become a bit slower even, right? There's uh, mm-hmm. the, the guy that used to do 20 things but could yeah. do them all without asking anybody anything, now yeah. has to ask 10 people if they yeah. are okay with doing their part, right? Yeah. How have you lived through that experience? Uh, do you feel like, you know, 10 people, it's right away faster or that there's also like some, some pains with that, uh, growing the, the team in, in size? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, <laughs> so, so since my time at MessageBird, the team that I'm working with directly We've added more people to it, but it's not gone from basically one to 100 right. uh, scale, you know, the direct team I work with. Yeah. But indirectly, of course, there's a, the company has gone from since I joined, I think it was 330 people to now somewhere over 400. I don't know the exact number, yeah. but yeah, you know, it's, you can see on LinkedIn how many people work for Mesibird, but that's the point that it's, it's grown. But the point is that it has not grown without um, without a reason, so to say. MessageBird carefully places people for the problems that exist. Yeah. And that's, I think I'm really happy there with the company, how that thinks, because sometimes I'm also working on things and I'm like, oh my God, if it would be both, it would be moving so much faster if I had one extra set of team here to just deal with this little bit of stuff. Yeah. And then at the same time, think that then I would need X amount of more hours in a day to, to manage that. Um, yeah, true. But going back to your point, I think the importance here is that MessiBird is adding more people, but it's a need, you know, with, with the growth we are experiencing. Not because, yeah, you have cash in the hand and you can go spend it everywhere you like. Um, no, of course. So no, and maybe old. maybe there's a little bit of a growing pain there that you become a bit slower at times, but then as as those people start catching up, it, it the, just the machine starts moving faster altogether, right? There's there's an adjustment period, of course, but that's where yeah. it goes. 
Uh, yeah. The other one and the last pain for today, it's uh, innovating in highly saturated markets, right? Um, it's already it's it's really hard to innovate in highly saturated markets, and not only because of the saturation itself, but also because there are some really outdated solutions out there that, despite being outdated, are widely mm. accepted, right? Yeah. And do you think that you know to an extent that market is going to say like we're happy with what is there, we've been using it for thirty years, like leave it there? Do you think that innovation should be limited to the level that the market is willing to accept, or do you think that you should push it further? and the market will follow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... <laughs> and this is coming back to taking the CD out of the laptop, right? Like, uh, <laughs> probably that seemed like a shit idea no, back, back then. No, yeah, let me put it this another way. A lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of softwares we, we use, we see who are market leaders and who exist for a long time. They are pre-iPhone era, you know? Yeah. Um, and just to give you, uh, just to set up the context, if you look at the oil industry, it's been around for what, 300 years, 400 years, uh, something like that. And throughout that time, it evolved. And with that time, a lot of things evolved with it. The, the companies around it, how you, well, how you, the oil products and the regulations and all that. But when you think about the, the industry or in general, what we are doing in the software industry, mm -hmm. SaaS didn't exist up until a couple of years ago. And then uh, it was like on-premise software. So let's say just take since the since the internet was born and then since it became like really hip and mainstream from that point up until now, things have been moving so fast. And then what happened is that, and what I see a lot is there have been these market leaders in certain spaces who exist pre-iPhone era and the reason I, I say iPhone era is that since iPhone came out, the technology evolves 10x, you know? Mm -hmm. We use everyday products now that didn't exist or wouldn't have existed with if, if, there, it, if, it, if it was not for iPhone because that accelerated the speed. And what that means is that all the products that existed pre that, they either had a choice to just uh, adapt and then rethink how they are going to, how they are going to adapt to the mobile first world, mm -hmm. or the, the the mobile first uh, the world that this mobile first uh, world uh, brings, the challenges it brings, or they stay the same and keep adding on top of the the same functionality. So, yeah. I work on Inbox, you know, yeah. um, that that's basically the Messenger's product that you know we we help companies talk to their customers on any. Uh, channel that they prefer and when we see certain things in the market when I see certain products in the market they've been built for so long why what's the problem there is that they were built for email or phone calls and then um, a whatsapp channel yeah a messenger channel was an afterthought so instead of like rethinking um, their their whole strategy some of them just took the easy route and then said that, okay, let's just find it quick and easy. Quick and easy doesn't mean that two days, it could also mean two years to, to just add this channel and then, you know, add these customers. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is that the fundamentals of these products stay the same and they have just adjusted a little bit to ensure that they can deal with this uh, changing market. Yeah. And what that has presented is, is this like the whole mindset 
difference between people uh, who are of let's say pre-iPhone era who've been working mm -hmm. and then people like me who started working in 2013 uh, like the, the jobs and then you have Gen Z there's a huge shift between how all these people think about innovation and that's yeah. the What's interesting is that, you know, a lot of companies think of innovation in a very self-centered way and they they strive to become the product they want to become, uh, regardless of the product uh, customers truly need, right? So you say, well, now there is machine learning out there, so I want my messenger solution to, uh, inbox solution to have AI built in with machine learning. Mm -hmm. And then the market might be like, cool, I yeah. don't give a crap, right? Like yeah. so, so, and and often we wanna we wanna strive to become the cooler product and the best product, as we were saying, the one with the most features. Mm -hmm. Besides what the market is telling us, they want, right? How how do you think you can find that balance um, between becoming an innovator, mm -hmm. but not thinking your innovation so far that your customers are like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like yeah. that, we don't even want that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the innovating for the sake of innovating is always wrong. And that's exactly. what you see in sometimes in corporates, they have a department called the innovation department and you will find people called head of innovation. Yeah. And I think that's just like BS, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if we can swear here, but you can, you, you can, you can, you can say <laughs> no okay. So that's bullshit. <laughs> it's like, you shouldn't innovate for the sake of innovation. It should be the mindset of you as a company that you are thinking ahead of the market, you're thinking ahead of the customers in terms of how can we deliver this amazing, um, if you want to use AI, let's just take the example of AI. No? Everything has AI, the microwave is coming soon. Uh, with yeah, AI. like a great example is Google. Uh, Gmail uses AI and you're typing a sentence and it just yeah. you know, completes it for you. I think that's, that's something I never have asked, you know, Google that please build this in for me. But in my opinion, that's the that's the way AI is built in, right? To be then invisible, you, but be there when you need it, right? In a way. Yeah, exactly. Solve the problem that you didn't need. Uh, you didn't no, think you that you yeah. needed to be solved. Exactly. And then you have these other applications of AI, which is are there for the sake of the company being able to say that yes, we are innovative, and then uh, we we want to. We have the technologies like AI and blockchain. There was a huge um, influx of these blockchain also. So yeah. going back to the point, I think innovation for the sake of innovation is wrong, but innovating to think ahead of the market and understand that, okay, how do we, how do we use technologies that exist? How do we use the, um, uh, how do we innovate further in the market that where we are, where we are able to challenge the status quo? You know, if I okay. think about the product I'm working on, I think that the legacy companies who might be widely accepted, they have read, set a wrong precedent in terms of not only how the product is built, but also around how the people who use this product are being evaluated. Yeah. You know? So Okay. Well, well, something that's interesting when it comes to, like, um, to saturated markets is that it really comes down to positioning, right? Like you need really need to, to make it easy for your consumer to understand where you stand next to the other options in the market, right? Traditionally, this has been a marketing function, right? From, from back in the day, like pre-iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it has more and more become something that products is involved in as well. Uh, how do you see this? Do you see this 
as a marketing function, as a product function, as an organizational function, because this is part of those things that the walls have been taken down, but mm -hmm. they have been taken down in a very messy way. So even though there is like people not working in silos anymore, there's still a lot of like, okay, but who really owns this kind of feeling in organizations? Yeah. How do you see positioning in particular? I think posi like positioning of your product, I, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, positioning yeah. of your product or your business. I think this is, it's not entirely up to one person. Of course, uh, there is, of course, uh, this is where the collaboration comes in. You, you know, as a product manager, I can't say that, yeah, just you deal with it. I don't really care about how we position. I'm just busy on building features. Let me know and I'll I build don't... it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to be out on the 1st of August and by then you should have the positioning ready. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's more like collaborating, sitting together and undergoing that, uh, okay, how do, we, how do we work together on the positioning of it? How, how do we, okay, what kind of uh, market segment are we addressing? You know, who's our target audience? Then how do we position our product to them? And then let's just say you are building a product who has more than one market segment. How do you position it for all these different yeah, exactly. segments? And that's something, you know, you can't, can't say that this is this is not you know I can't as a product manager I can't say well this is not my responsibility it should be marketing's job to do yeah all but that. it still happens though in in real life right because in theory yes right that's how it should work but in large organizations in particular it does happen that marketing has an idea of where the product sits mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there are things happening in another shop that you only find out when they get shipped or something right and then all of a sudden you realize oh my homepage says that we are the best because of X, Y, or Z, and all of a sudden yeah. we're putting machine learning into this thing, and I didn't know that was a thing for us. So yeah. it's easy to lose track of those things. Do you, yeah. do you think that um, in a fast-moving organization, it's, do you guys manage to like keep these things in order, or is it something that you just play it by ear and you'll see how things go, right? Because it's, it's moving so fast. Yeah. Well, you can, yeah. One thing I want to say, you can't guess stuff, you know, I can't, I can't say, well, you know, let's, let's see what uh, we're building this and marketing this doing something and eventually things will align. Let's see what it what comes out at the end. Yeah, I know, know? of course. Yeah. So, so um, that's where alignment becomes super critical. Yeah. And the, if you remember in start. Yeah, we did, was, we did a lot of that together. Yeah. Yeah. It's also not sometimes I, I was too busy with the features and getting um, things out the door where John was more yeah. doing this alignment and then we were working in this triangle, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's it's also uh, it's also that's where you need to me personally, I need to leverage and I do leverage people who are around me, for example, a senior PMs or like the you have the same structure in the marketing org. Yeah. It's like, okay, how do we manage each other's time efficiently and still make sure we are aligned? That's like a short answer. I don't know. No, like, it's, do you want to yeah. go deeper into this? No, it's okay. I, I have one last one before we move into the resources. And the last mm -hmm. one is about data-drivenness uh, and, and everything. So in the, for the last decades, uh, we've been all obsessed with data. Everything has been mm -hmm. data-driven. So we try to back up every decision with data. And sure, it is better than opinions, but also it's not perfect, right? And I do believe there is a risk of uh, claiming that it is or believing that it is because it can lead to the wrong decisions. So usually when you come up with a truly innovative idea, it will be rare that you can back it up with data. And this is because after all, 
The problem with data is that it always shows the past. And a truly innovative idea, it's all about the untapped potential that this might have in the future, right? So when you're really saying something like, uh, I don't know what it is, the iPhone, how could you back up that up with data? Like, can you show me data that people are going to love touchscreens on a mobile phone? No. Yeah. Because nobody yeah. has done it, right? Like, what do you want? Yeah. And then are we going to put in a $400 million investment behind something that you cannot back up with data? Yes. And, and look at them now, right? But yeah. now we're all used to like, where's the data, right? Or I don't move a finger. Yeah. No, that's uh, a great point. Have you experienced a little bit of that when you try to innovate and it gets pushed back because of this? In general, there are two ways one can look at data. And I try to always look at it from two standpoints. One, what kind of problems can data tell me? You know, If I look at data, what kind of customer problems is it going to tell me? Not not like, okay, the, the feature usage and all that kind of stuff, but like, yeah. what is it about the customer that I don't know and this data tells me? You know, if let's say one plus one doesn't, uh, one plus one should be two or and you look at the data and then when you go deeper into those ones and then you're looking okay wow oh this is this is this is interesting yeah it's like how do, who are how are people using your product or how are they not using your product so that's one way you can look at data the other is that in general i've experienced and I'm personally also sometimes guilty of it that um try to back up the thing you really want with data that you can find you know, mm-hmm. it's like your own, uh, your own um, something you really, really want, and then you just draw up some data to make sure that hey, it's weaponized, data, it's right? Complete, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've seen it with the goddamn coronavirus, right? Like, <laughs> like people want to prove a point, and they're like, "You see, uh, mm-hmm. we see that in this country, we are the highest infected in the world." Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you grabbed like. 10 people yeah. in it, right? And you yeah. have like one neighborhood or something. So you can weaponize data as well because you can put it in a spreadsheet, make yeah. it to your liking and you can back up any idea you want exactly. to back up. Yeah. You know? And then to your point that have, have there been pushback and where you like, okay, you, you, your instinct is telling you one thing, but the data is telling you another thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's where it comes from. Like, I've personally not experienced this too much because I haven't launched like an iPhone level yeah. product. Uh, <laughs> but this is exactly like, if you go back to Start Connect, this is exactly the thing which data was telling. Data wasn't telling us to build that product, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, other way around. Like, the, the data was telling us one thing, but then I had a really, really strong uh, one instinct but at the same time data was telling me that okay this needs to be productized but what data was that it's like working with the customers and understanding how they use this what kind of requests they have yeah and then yes there was some pushback and then eventually also there was a lot of buy-in um yeah i guess overall if you want to be in a really innovative organization uh that needs to be a mindset thing that people share Right, like, yeah. uh, but what what you see in reality is that your CEO can tell you, "We really want to innovate." Hey, mm-hmm. how about this? Where's the data? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Where's the research that tells me that for sure is gonna pay off? Well, yeah, taking chances yeah. is what innovation is all about, right? Yeah. No, so it, exactly, it's 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 taking chances, but also seeing things before anybody else can see it. And and when you and I say anybody else. I mean that people who are even looking at data. So it could also be that yeah. you're looking at the same data 
you see something that everybody else misses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like we we think about like okay the iPhone we 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 think that okay um, it was a complete just left field innovation. But like Steve Jobs looked at something we looked every day and chose chose to ignore the keyboard yeah. on the, the the Blackberries and all that, and then the small the, screen. The classic Balmer uh, quote that it was an awful an, an awful email machine and it was not going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, for Microsoft. So the, you know, it's it's also like I don't think the innovation is that or like things like this where you don't use data, um, yeah. the data that you pull out of tools to justify it. Um, what I what I mean is that how do you see things that other people don't see? You know, yeah. so that because that's where True. also the source of all these left field innovations come. About. True. I just get I just think that a lot of people might see them as well, and they're shy to 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 say them because they don't have a business case to support them sometimes, right? And and, and I think that's, <laughs> that, that's a shame, right? Because yeah. uh, you're like, oh, I had this amazing idea, but if I just put it out, people are gonna look at me like a madman because I don't have a business case of five pages to support it. Then yeah. we might be losing out on a lot of great ideas that in a, in yeah. a different in a different setup people would just spit out and yeah. we might have a laugh or we might say like holy mm -hmm. shit that's amazing, right? Yeah. So yeah, so, yeah. Think think of think of some of the products that are out there who are going crazy. Like think of um, yeah, true. Think of think of um, TikTok. Imagine yeah. this person being at a really big org and they're presenting this data and people are presenting this idea and people are like. What well, we this? need a business case around it. And then once you hear that, you have you have two ways, two things you can do. Yeah. You can write out that business case. Actually, you can three, do three things. You can write out the business case, start pulling out data. Um, you can just leave that idea in your backlog forever. Yeah. Or you pursue it at all costs. And then imagine this person was at a big company. And then the only way to pursue for them to pursue this idea at all costs was to leave that company and pursue it, you know, separately. And I've seen over the years, a lot of people have done that, you know, yeah, uh, true. a lot of successful products out there could have been another Google product, but you see ex Googler who left the company and built this, this amazing product because they couldn't pursue this idea in the company because of all the bureaucratic elements around it. Yeah, true. All right, man, we're wrapping up to the, to the last bit. So let's start talking about some resources. Do you have some, fun stuff you want to share with the audience? Um, yeah, so in terms of resources, man, I'm, I'm lately a lot more into podcasts because it's just, I can I can listen it and still do other stuff in my yeah. day. So one of the things I listen to um, is it's a podcast called My First Million. Mm -hmm. It's a gimmicky name, but it's from uh, Sean Puri and Sam Parr. So in, they invite a lot of different people um, for example, uh, I've, recently I've listened to the one where they invited uh, the founder of Lambda School, uh -huh. and then they just talk about their um, to them in a really in a genuine setting, you know, the no no sugar coating, nothing. Um, that's something I, I listen to every now and then. But cool. um, other than that, yeah, one thing also is that I I'm super invested into um, compounding and building this 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 uh, mindset and physical, um, well, both mentally and physically building this longevity. And mm -hmm. I found this person really, really helpful there. It's, uh, it's, he's an MMA coach. His name is Firas Zahabi. Uh -huh. um, and, and the best resource I can recommend from him is, it's a bit where he's talking to Joe Rogan on his podcast. And it's about a 30 minute bit out of this two hour or three hour interview where he's talking about, um, 
basically the per uh, perceived rate of exertion. So basically, what he's trying to say is that you don't let yourself uh, get exhausted. You know, you can you can you can go to gym and then pump iron and then you know uh, exceed that uh, rate of uh, exertion and then be really sore next day. But instead, what you do is just quit that day before you reach that point so that yeah. you can continue the next day because then what you can do is build this whole you can train a lot more over the longer period of time you know and then mentally also that's how that's what i'm trying to um that's what i'm trying to build like okay how can i do how can i get one percent better every day so in the really long term i can i can build this longevity rather than try to do something really quick cool man Cool. I'm going to add to that. Uh, we were talking about perfectionism a lot. There's a TED talk by a guy called Thomas Curran. He's a social psychologist. I think it's really cool because it, huh? it, it also talks a lot about the things that you were mentioning, like how Thomas damaging who? Thomas Curran, C-O-R-R-A-N. I'm going to put it in the links for the people watching okay. on YouTube. But um, yeah, it's super interesting. It's a 15 minute talk, but it's, uh, it's around how damaging it is uh, and how our generations, well, I'm saying our generations, I'm kind of like putting myself in there, but I'm a bit older, but maybe the new generations, right? Like the, the Gen Zers or, or, or the full-on millennials are so, um, so prone to all of this uh, mental illness and all of these issues just because we all think we all need to be Bill Gates's, right? And we mm -hmm. all think we all need to be yeah, Elon Musk's or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, it's a super interesting thing uh, because yeah, we're not perfect and we should be fine yeah. with that and hopefully everybody listening to this podcast know that by now so really cool man really cool to have you really cool catching up i'll call you some other day so we can catch up on other stuff too yeah. but thank you for coming and and happy to see you yeah thanks a lot man all right guys to be here. Yeah. see you on the next episode bye bye